Hey, AD, thanks for being on the show. <laughs> thanks so much for having me, Jay. So I'm really excited to chat because I was reading through your new book and also a lot of your successes in business and just things that you've experienced. And uh, we're just in a lot of alignment uh, with a lot of those things, even though we're in very different parts of the world. You're in Cape Town, South Africa right now. I'm in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, we both have sunny weather right now, but we won't talk about that too much uh, as it relates to the rest of the country uh, or world who's maybe enduring snow or winter still. Uh, but hopefully everybody's got a little spring uh, popping up around the corner. Or I guess you're in the middle of summer though, huh? Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. So anybody who listens to the podcast on a regular basis knows that one of the last questions that I always ask people is, what does work-life balance mean to you? And how has that changed through different seasons of your life? Since that's kind of the topic, or at least there's, there's those are areas of topics of your new book, I want to flip the script today and I want to start where I would normally end. So what does work-life balance even mean to you? And how has that changed through different seasons of your life? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Jay. And I, I'll probably start with kind of where I'm at with that today, because I think today I'm probably most clear about what that actually means. And my kind of perspective on work-life balance is that I don't think that kind of it does what it says on the can. I don't think that the outcome, that the people that aspire for work-life balance, I think it's somewhat flawed. Um, not that it's a bad thing. I don't mean to judge it in that way, but I think it's somewhat flawed. And when I say it's somewhat flawed, I think it's, for me, it's about saying that this idea proposes at least that you know work-life balance says work is on one side, life is on the other side, and these things can keep each other in balance. And I don't think that those two things are that separate, that they kind of, you actually keep, each other in balance. In fact, I actually think that work is just part of life. So when I think about work-life balance, I I want to kind of you know both diversify and broaden that definition for me. And I I rather think about kind of my full, uh, whole life portfolio, right? And I think about that the way like that in the same way that you would think about an investment portfolio, different stocks, different asset classes, right? Um, and you would want to keep those things in balance, right? Whatever your definition of balance is. So if I think about my life portfolio, like those includes all of my entrepreneurial kind of ventures, like feeding my ambition, my drive, that thirst for learning, all those things intrinsic to me. But then it also includes my family, my which is my you know, one of my highest values, my home life. Um, it includes my my health, right? Um, it includes my my running. And then it includes things like, you know, I'm a bit of a wine geek and I want to be able to kind of geek out, geek out about wine um, and drink, you know, the wine as well whilst geeking out about it. But all of those things are kind of what I would put in that kind of life portfolio. And that's what I'm trying to, to keep in balance. Um, and crucially, I'm trying to do that on a daily and weekly basis. I'm not trying to stagger those things as kind of um, by saying, well, this week or this month is only about work and then come next month I'll do those other things. So I'm trying to kind of create a bigger blend about those things in a kind of more in a, you know, present day kind of environment. And I think the biggest change then, I think in the past, like I did try and isolate those things. I did say, you know, short-term you know, pain, long-term gain. And I, and I sacrificed along the way. On, and probably I sacrificed on behalf of other people, right? I.e. my family, like being a great example of that. And I didn't do it with their permission necessarily. And I never really paid back kind of those those dues or what I kind of took from that. And 
that's probably the biggest thing that I'm trying to change is, you know, going forth like every single day, like making sure that I make the due investments into all of those parts of my life and not just on the thing that is kind of the shouting that kind of loudest for, for my attention today. So you have uh, two boys, is that right? Yeah, they're and six and nine. Six and nine. Okay, great. So your kids are a little bit younger than mine. My, I have five kids. Mine range from eight to 16. So I'm in that like next bracket of age group up. And um, I'm curious for you, like I assume, and I don't know the dates exactly, but I assume when you started your first business was probably before you had children. And then now obviously you have children. So how has that changed, you know, your thought process and priorities, you know, on a daily or even yearly basis? Yeah. Um, two things have come to mind, Jay. Uh, and one of them was probably one of those first epiphanies that I that I had um, when AD Jr. was about a one year. I think it was maybe wasn't even one year old. Um, and it was one of those epiphanies that I should have listened to at the time and I should have taken kind of more drastic action. But I kind of had the epiphany and then I kind of naturally went forth, right? But the epiphany was, or the, the experience was, my wife, wife came up to me and she said, you know, you're managing your son. And I said, what are you talking about? She said like, well, you're changing his diaper and you're half emailing here on your phone and you're not really present, right? You're managing him like you would manage anyone on on the team. And that was very much that mode. So that was in my previous business with teams with commerce um, and the latter stages thereof that, that AD Junior was born. And I said, like, the reason I mentioned that part of it is just, I, I should have listened at that stage, right? Um, and I didn't. And I think that kind of the, the biggest influence there probably then, um, you know, based on that, Jay, is the fact that I've had to learn that kids are highly unpredictable in so many, so many ways, many, like most of them highly magical, right? And it is absolutely impossible. I, if I'm not going to be flexible and I'm not going to build my day and week and business in a way that can accommodate them at least sometimes, then it's always going to be these kind of two things that are just going to kind of bash heads and it's not going to work. Um, and like one of the you know, simpler things that I, that I've done in that regard is, you know, even pre COVID, I, I worked exclusively from home, had distributed teams. And when my kids were still in kindergarten, um, especially my youngest who is like, he, he likes a little bit of a, a rough and tumble. Right. But he would come home at you know 12 30 1 p.m from from kindergarten and then he'd come into my office and then like he would knock me off the chair and we'd kind of roll around for 10 minutes on the floor and it's just that little kind of bit of interplay that that i had to make space for on a daily basis and you know some days it was like oh he's coming at that exact moment where i'm deep into this problem that i'm trying to solve and it's not ideal in air quotes but I realize that if I'm not going to like figure out how to create, be flexible around those things and compromise on my part, then I'm probably kind of missing out on so many great experiences with my kids, with my family and other spaces of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And so thinking about, you know, things that you had to adjust in order to become more flexible, um, you know, kids do change everything basically. <laughs> and, and then you have to decide as a business leader and entrepreneur, like, 
how much time and where that time is going to be invested and what that looks like. And, you know, like you said, you've been distributed for a long time, but for many people, they're now trying to figure out what remote work looks like and how do I work from home while also being present and all these kinds of things. So what kind of things did you have to change or put in place that allowed you to create more flexibility in whatever your role and responsibility was at work so that you could have um, more flexibility at home? Um, I think it's um, two things that immediately pop to mind. There is the the one is just my personal ambition and you know being able to say you know what is enough um, and what is truly urgent and important today. Because I think I like in my younger years um, and especially pre kids, it was easy to just say you know what, there's always more. Like the reality is, there's always more work to do. Like for entrepreneurs out there, that to do list like never ends. Like you get through that to-do list and the reality is we're going to make up another to-do list to follow that one, right? So the only question is um, how much work and what kind of time frame you should put in. And I've kind of, in the past, I said it was just this natural motion of I'll just go with hard work and ambition and I'll just feed that beast and I'll never question it. So I think that's the first part is just that awareness and saying, you know what, um, a little bit slower, you know, not doing everything, you know, everything, maybe only doing eight out of 10 things, letting two lesser things drop off the radar. Like that helps because that immediately creates space. The other part of it, um, and I, I only caught on onto this with, with, with Converger, my, which was kind of my second business. And the biggest change from first to second was really thinking through the team culture and how to build that proactively. Cause with WooThemes and WooCommerce, that culture kind of happened to us. And the the thing that I had to do there was in the same way that I I needed to find what was enough, like good enough or just enough for me, right? I also needed to create that space for team members to be able to to know that, hey, if like if, if you have an off day or hey, if you like if you've got a sick kid at home, just take the day off. Like don't even ask permission, just notify everyone. Like that's more important. And I think, you know, before we 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 I got you know onto this idea of life profitability what my team and I used to say was just this idea of you know we are a, a life and a family first company and team and it was just that notion that you know what the most purposeful and meaningful things happens outside of work so whatever we do inside of work should always optimize for that neglect the work because the but the work should empower those things so you know what's interesting to me is I think about um, people that may not know some of the products that you have been involved with. I mean, WooCommerce, um, which you helped co-found, was one of it is is one of the top you know e-commerce platforms in the world. Um, we use it all the time on on websites that we build for our clients, and um, super extensible, tons of things it can do. It's changed a ton over time and become really robust. Um, and then you went on to build some other products, selling a couple of those things. Um, there's a lot going on there. So, um, you know, I'm curious, what was the kind of focus behind writing this new book? So the, the new book title, uh, for those who may not know, is called Life Profitability, the, Me- the New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. So like what made you say, you know what, I need to write this book. I have something I need to put out in the world that's not about specifically building a team or creating a product or, the, or selling a business, the things that you have been successful at. Yeah. Um, oh, there's, um, I think the, the, the one that's most close to heart, Jay, or the reason most close to heart is I often think, um, 
about my own mortality and my legacy. And I especially think about that in relation to kind of my boys who are still young and don't have the life experience or um, vocabulary necessarily for, for me to fully engage them about all these things that kind of, that defines me as, as their dad. And I often like the, the, I often think about how do I leave these breadcrumbs for them in my life so that they can, if they wanted to eventually, when they're older or whatever, they can essentially retrace their steps and, and learn more about their dad. And I think like in that sense, like I wanted to put this book out there because it, it, it is just so close to my heart, both in terms of what I hope to do next, right? But also just in terms of um, being very open about where I took the wrong steps in the past um, and how, like what I learned through that and how I'm going about that. Like the book itself, like it's not a fairy tale, right? It's, it's a, it's a vulnerable account with some, you know, vulnerable account of my journey, right. And some lessons that I learned there and some ideas that others can take away from that. And I think just in showing, I, I love the kind of this idea of instead of trying to show the a result or to, um, to sell a story, I like the idea of just showing the work. And ultimately, that's what I wanted the book to do, um, you know, for my boys, first and foremost. As I said, that's the one that's most kind of, you know, close to to my heart. Um, but beyond that, I, like, as part of my own life profitability, I, I had the opportunity after my last kind of, you know, company got acquired, both in time and just capital resources, to put into this project where I hope to give entrepreneurs some alternative ideas about how to kind of build their businesses and 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 run their lives. Um and I think I've always believed that if you're if you're in the position to do something good for someone else um or something positive, like we don't even have to judge it um in the good or bad sense, just positive, I think you should do it. Um and I think like that's beyond my boys and that legacy for me. Um like that's what I was hoping to do with the book. So it was interesting, as I was just looking through the book, the intro you dedicate to your wife and boys, and you said, uh, who have not only given me so much to live for, but helped me manifest the truest me. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so I think I mentioned earlier that as part of my life portfolio, um, you know, my family and then my home life um, is very important. And the reason why those are important is I think those at least in my life, and I hope for for others listening here, that's the case too. But that's the safest space that I can ever be in, and in that safe space, like that's where I can explore, that's where I can discover, that's where I can experiment with parts of myself that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, like sharing with like with a bigger group of people or with people that I'm less familiar with. And in that sense, my family and my home life becomes this launch pad for me to put myself out in the world. Um, which is important, you know, for me again, like for me being able to create things, being able to share those things with the world, like that's part of what makes me 80. And ultimately like the, the, the truest part of this is um, that's my version of trying to answer the question of, you know, what is the, the meaning of life? And for me, it's just about how do I show up every single day? And I try and figure out like, what do I need to do on that day to manifest the truest version of myself for that day and going forward? And like part of that obviously is like, I want to evolve. I want to learn new things. I want to, I, I want to be better. I want to make new mistakes, not the same mistakes. All of those things as I go through life, 
And the undercurrent doing all those things is that I'm refining who I am, right? But crucially refining how I make sure that I, like, I manifest that who I am out in the world. Because I think many of us are probably feel like, well, I know who I am, but then we show up in so many different spaces in our life or work and we're not entirely that person. And I get it, right? We, we have to filter ourselves in some cases because of societal rules or norms or politics, whatever. Um, so I don't mean that as a judgment, but my, my desire and passion for myself here um, is to try and show up in all the spaces of my life as the kind of the truest version of me, unfiltered, just kind of your raw hearts on my sleeve. This is 80. That's awesome. Um, I always say that self-awareness is kind of a superpower. Um, and I think especially, I think this has always been true, but I think now in the age of social media, it's probably more true than ever. The whole like what an entrepreneur or a founder should look like or be or have um, has just become so ugh, messy. And I always say that, like, you know, um, I think that humans in general struggle with this question, but I think men especially, and I, I don't mean to be sex or anything, but I think it's true. I think men especially struggle with this question, is, which is, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And the entrepreneur, I think, is especially cursed with that question because we're constantly seeking, like, what's next? Is there more? This isn't good enough. I did that thing, but now I got to do this thing. And so I think rest is often really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. So how has that been for you? And have you been able to find ways that you go, hey, this is rest for me, um, even if it's just exploring an old wine cellar or something? Yeah. Which um, which would not be rest, right? So if you, if you let me loose in an old wine cellar, I would stay there for ages and I would probably consume too much of the wine, which means it totally has a knock-on effect to, to the next day. Um, I, You know, Jay, I think um, initially, I think the, the, the first time I, I really started resting was probably when I allowed myself to just play with the kids and just play with them. Not for a set amount of time, not because I had to kind of you know, babysit them. Um, my wife always gave me so much crap for, for using the word babysitting. Um, she said, that she would always remind me like, hey dude, it's just parenting. Like when you yeah. do it, it's yeah, just it's parenting. Yeah, it's a bad thing to say to you. <laughs> You're babysitting I, exactly. your own kids. It's not so, good. <laughs> so so I, I learned the lesson very quickly though. I can, I, I can admit, I haven't used that word, but I use it in this context, right? Because I think that for me, initially I would, play with the kids and I would enjoy it but there was a purpose to it which wasn't just play it was like well I have to tie them over it's going to be another hour and I can put them down for a nap whatever so I think that was the first time when I I, I got so consumed by the play like being present just with them that my mind switched off like you know for a moment I just forgot about either the challenges and the to-dos or kind of this what's next this you know, feeling this ambition um, and I think once you, like for me at least, once I experienced that sensation, I started looking for other places, um, you know, for that to happen. So other places where it has shown up for me is um, it can often happen for me when I'm writing. Um, not every single time, but when I write, you know, even if I just scribble a few things. In the past, I got stuck into poetry, right? I published a small book of poetry, for example. That was a total escape from from anything and everything that kind of was... Um, was daunting or stressful at least, right? Um, I also do it whilst running, right? Like, um, and especially when I can really get into that mindfulness and I 
you know, really feel one with the universe as my feet kind of you know, slaps the pavement. Um, so that's actually how I found I, you know, I rest. And then like we've built out again, like coming back to, you know, playing with the boys, um, family moments, you know, family weekends away. Like I, I try and, for example, when we kind of go away for a weekend, try and do it somewhere off grid, right? Where like there's either no kind of you know, cell phone signal or really bad signal so that I can't get stuff, right? I can't get those pings. Um, so rest in that sense, I think is about, is almost a distraction, but not a bad distraction, the kind of distraction that puts me into that kind of present moment, do the thing that I should should be doing, which is then not, I, I wouldn't say work, but not ambition, not stress. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important distinction of like what is stressful work versus something that you've actually find enriching. But that whole idea of like f- literally finding a place where you don't have a choice, you can't connect to the internet. Um, like that's the kind of thing I think people need to think about. That's That's been huge for me. I, I have had to, I'm such an addict to my email that when I go away with our family and I really want to be present, I have to, I still want my phone because I want to use it for photos and stuff like that with the kids and everything else. And it's the best camera that I have. And so I, I, I need it uh, for that purpose, but I have to physically disable the email off my phone. I literally go in, delete the email account. I have to go log back in, set it back up. I can't just like instinctively click on mail and refresh my mail just to see if there's something for me to deal with. Because once I see it, I can't, uns- I can't like just leave it. I have to go deal with it. And that's, that's not a strength. That's a weakness. Um, but I think that what you just said is like finding a place. I used to love going on cruises back in the day because they didn't used to have internet. Now they have internet, which is no good. But, um, I don't, I won't get the Wi-Fi package if I go on a cruise. I, I want to set up my business in a way that it doesn't need, you know, it doesn't need me. This past summer we got to do as a family, even in the middle of the pandemic, um, a 30 day RV trip around the country. And I didn't, I didn't work. Um, but I, I've worked to set up the agency to work without me because 10 years ago, I couldn't have done that. I, I would have had to have been there. I could barely take a day off, much less a month. Um, yeah. and, and you know what, Jay, I think like, you know, in, in you describing that, um, cause I think that's amazing, right? Like being able to take a whole month off and having the business run without you. Like, I think that's another superpower. And I think what people like many founders, entrepreneurs, business owners don't realize is by doing that, you're making your business more resilient, which probably means like in tougher times, you've built that resilience muscle. Like it's not like it doesn't have a single point of failure, just one person, right? It is more resilient. And again, like that is a muscle. Like re- resiliency isn't a, I don't think it's a characteristic. I think it's a muscle. And the more mm, things good. you do um, to kind of you know, teach that muscle how to function, like and strengthen the muscle, the more resilient you're going to be, the more things the world can throw at you, throw at you and the business it should have a higher kind of likelihood of surviving. So I, I absolutely love doing that. And, and key there is, I don't think you learn resilience by being reactive, right? By like firstly having been, you've know, been shot at having to figure out how to dodge bullets. You don't do that by being stressed, right? Then it's just brain on fire and it's just survival mode. That's not, that's not resilience. Resilience, you can only exercise and strengthen if you do it proactively in a calm way, right? In a purposeful, meaningful, calm way. I think that's so good. And, and we found out for better or worse, which businesses are resilient over the past year and which are not, some of which had no, I mean, there's some things that are so far outside of people's control, there's nothing they could have done. Sure. But um, 
But in many cases, it definitely has been one of those things that's kind of separated the wheat from the chaff in some some industries because you see like which businesses are able to make it through like just horrible storms that are unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, I'd love to transition a little bit and talk about like building a product, building a company, building a team. Those are things you've done a lot of. Um, and, you know, I noticed at the beginning of the book, one of the sections that you had was titled The Road to Hell. <laughs> and and at the end, you kind of talk through these, you know, successes to some extent, like expanding from Woo themes to WooCommerce, making your first millions, looking back, uh, you said, and strung on the side of the road of success, I see things I didn't even know that I'd sacrifice at the time. At the end of the next paragraph, you said, the disappointment in all of this is I never truly, I was never truly present in the rest of my life. Um, that's hard stuff. And it's really weighty to think about so how can business owners build a product, create a team around it, care for customers, and not end up in that place? Like, what, what are the things that you want to say to people that are trying to do those things now? Yeah. Um, so the way I think about this, Jay, is um, firstly, I think for everyone out there, if, if you're not clear about your personal values, Right then, like I, I like do something to get clear about it. Right. So the thing that really helped me initially start think through this is um, there's a book called The Values Factor by Dr. John DeMartini, um, and he has a like you don't have to like totally read the whole book. I didn't read the whole book, um, but there's a 13 question questionnaire that he has in there that helps you to essentially all, like answer the same question, but in 13 different ways. And that starts illuminating, um, you know, what, like how you would probably vocalize and communicate your values. So, um, and, and for context there, like it would literally, like one of the questions would not be like, what do you value? It would be look around you in your office. Um, like what does that office look like? Is it neat? Is it kind of, you know, or is it a little chaotic? Um, what do you spend money on in the office? Like what, what things are important? And as soon as you, because our values, we tend to do these things subconsciously. And the trick is to kind of be very kind of explicit about them and be conscious about them. So that's the first part of it. Like be truly clear about your values. Um, Because every, I think the, the key thing for me there is on this journey, regardless of whether you're starting a business or you're 20 years into an existing business, um, the next steps you're going to take here on this journey the only common denominator is going to be you as an individual, right? Everything else can change. The business can change, team can change, product can change, um, families can change, people get divorced, right? You can move to a different country, new friends, etc. But you're still going to be there. So if you're clear about your values, then you can you can be in alignment with yourself, right? And when you start there, I think the other things start rippling out. Um, and the second part of that kind of rippling outwards then is this that notion of kind of you know, being aware of that life portfolio that you have and starting to define those things and i think when you're doing that efficiently or effectively at least probably a better word that life portfolio closely resembles your highest values too right um and the effective part there is important because i think if you think about energy transfer things that feel more natural will kind of maintain more energy it will like it will be like lose less energy like the further it spreads from that core and i think that's where you then see if you do that and you do that well it starts rippling outwards right 
ripples outwards to your team, to your family, to your close friends, um, ripples outwards to your customers, suppliers, your greater kind of your community and society. Um, so that that is how I think about those things. And as you go about your day then, and you are staying aware about these ripples, about your values, about your life portfolio, I think you're already kind of you know, doing a much better job of being present in what is important in you know in that day on that moment compared to what I did for the kind of the biggest part of my journey as a as an adult at least. I think what's so good about that is just the retrospect of like I can hear in your story and I can you know see in some of the stories you've told in the book that like you've been through some tough days, you know, <laughs> that you go like, man, I'm not sure this thing's going to work. Like this was, was this even a good idea? And what have I done? And, you know, and, and, and along the way, there's so many people involved, some that turn into great friends and others that like, you're like, what the heck happened here? And um, as I think about that, one of the biggest struggles I think people have is building a team. Um, and, and it's almost impossible to build. You can't build a successful company without knowing how to build a team. Otherwise, you just have a solo consultancy, you know. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit because you've obviously had to do that over time. And, and uh, you've probably had different roles and involved with different companies along the way. But as you think about building a team, because for me, um, and I'll give you context for why I'm asking this. For me, it's not just about my life, right? I, my job as a CEO is to shepherd or, or care for my whole team and to create opportunities for them, create opportunities for them to live lives that they actually want, actually enjoy, you know, create an environment where they go, hey, I actually like working here. Um, what are some tips that you might give to people as they are building teams or even in the midst of teams that you've learned, either the easy way or the hard way, um, of uh, just things that helped you build a, a team and a culture that actually could be successful? Yeah. Um, first things first, um, and I learned this from uh, Jason Cohen, um, who, who is now founder um, and CTO over at WP Engine. And he said about culture, at least, he said, um, every team has a culture, whether you know it or um, And what he meant to say was, like, culture, culture happens in a team, regardless of whether you do something about it or not. So the key is, you have to be proactive about that. And I think when I say culture, culture is effectively the things we do based on the shared values that we've agreed to. Um, and I think making that a conscious effort to talk about that, to keep people accountable based on that, like that's a key part, right? And especially, um, I often think that teams that are office-based or co-located, they miss this part, right? Because you can use visual cues, like body language, et cetera, to try and... Um, orientate you know in relation to others whereas when you have remote teams and you know people only speak to each other when necessary and you don't have those visual cues the thing that bind that connective tissue is just culture right so i think that's the that's the first part there is like be truly purposeful and proactive um and open about what that culture is um, and build that over time. And, and the only way to tell a really good story and make sure that that story shows up everywhere is to just constantly drumbeat it. Um, like find ways to like reference back to values. Like in big decisions, um, you know, ask yourself like, like, what does it say about that value that we state in our kind of mission statement, for example? Um, so I think that's the first part thereof. The other part of this is... Um, 
and this might sound controversial, but I think for business owners, at least, is recognize that everyone in your team is not equal. And doesn't matter how collaborative or democratic you want to be, how open and transparent you are internally, how involved you allow people to be, kind of to what extent you allow people to take ownership on, on projects. Ultimately, if like somebody that has, you know, 70 or 80% equity in a business, they just have a different consideration than someone that has 1%, right? And you could all be pulling it you know, towards the same direction, but I think it's disrespectful to people um, to say, well, we're all part of the same team and we're all equal, when that's not the case. Like people ha- literally just have different amounts of skin in the game. And I think trying to take that cookie cutter approach to every single person also neglects their individual kind of magic. And crucially to to what you said then, and I'll kind of close the loop there, is I think the best teams figure out how to be a collective and pull full force into the same direction whilst totally honoring that unique individual magic of every single individual. And the work that you do as a collective should always empower those other things for that individual. And if like the closer you get Again, maybe not even alignment or overlap, but again, in that kind of energy transition, like that's where, like, I think that's how you build exceptional teams, right? Where you exert energy within the team, in the collective, and then that energy gets transferred to individual and they can take that energy further into the rest of their life. Like that's what's going to make them like truly happy, right? Um, And that's the only thing that I think you, you as business owner, you as team lead, can actually influence is how do you help them create energy in this thing that they spend a lot of their time on and then transfer that to the rest of their life where they can redistribute it into other things that are, you know, very special and very important to them. Yeah. It's a super interesting way of thinking about that. Like my part of my job is to like kind of pass on that energy for them to then use on that project. Um, I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way. That's, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I'd love to, you mentioned it a couple times there, how the differences between if I'm in person with somebody versus dealing with uh, a distributed team, you've done a lot of that since pre-COVID, so it's not new for you. Um, and I think what we've found over the last year is some businesses have no idea how to do these things. They're It's like they're in baby business school again, trying to figure out how to do remote work because they don't they don't know they don't know what the cost is. And there, I see people all the time, even on Zoom, trying to replicate what they are doing in person, and it just doesn't translate exactly the same. So maybe this would be kind of a good transition. And then what I'll do is kind of round things out and and let let you kind of talk a little bit about where people can find you and find, find your book and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd love to kind of hear from you some insights with your experience on distributed work, remote work, whatever you want to call it. Um, what are people missing as it relates to building a successful distributed team in this new world? Because my gut says that we will probably move back to more of a hybrid in many industries, but, but there's going to be a lot of remote work from here on out. So what, what what's yeah. your input there? I think the, the, the biggest difference between the two, right, is that with remote teams, with distributed teams, um, everything should be explicit, right? Which probably means over-communication, like being verbose, because you can't rely on those 
kind of natural you know cues that we would otherwise right so if you and i were in the same room like i could feed off of your kind of your body language your kind of your your voice your tone um your facial expressions like even when it's not directed at me right or i can just see what you're doing over there etc and all of those things are ultimately implicit and based on my observation whereas when you're remote and you're in you know in your project management software or you're in slack or you're in email you don't have any of those things which means i think the, the you know the best way for for leaders for example to communicate there and what i love to do is not just communicate a decision but also like hey here's all the things that i considered here's where my mind went like you know before i made the decision and you know what you guys should know that I had a fight with my wife this morning. So if like if if anything actually sounds off, like I, I might be off. So like you know, give me that radical candor back, and say, hey, Eddie, wait, hold on. Like you did mention that there was little this other thing here that maybe didn't didn't relate to the decision, but maybe it did, right? So, and it might be a poor example, but my point being is, I think that's that's where you take the kind of those things that would have otherwise been implied or which would have been communicated in a more um, natural way, you need to be explicit about it and, and really make sure that you communicate it. Um, and then to your point, like the, you know, the, the office-based model, like you can't just tra- transfer that to a distributed team. Like it is a completely different way of kind of you know, running and managing a team. So if you do that, you do that copy paste. And I think that that won't work. Um, and for someone starting out, as I said, I think the start there is literally just, just be more explicit, like rather over communicate um, than kind of, you know, communicate too little. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's interesting because even though we were kind of a hybrid model before all of this stuff, um, now that we're more, there's probably more people remote than there are that come into the office. A few people come to the office, a few don't, um, but it's, it's mostly remote is I see that already. I see the problems already like brewing in some areas where people get frustrated because I think what happens is it's easy when you're all you're dealing with is a project management system or Slack or whatever else that or email to like treat people like they're just resources or to do to do items and they're not people. And you know, I had a situation the other day where some stuff was going down in a in a task that that wasn't going well and and this one team was refreshed with the other one. I said, but did you just ask how they were doing? Like, are you okay? Is there anything wrong? I think especially for leaders, like, it's so easy to only find the bad things and go gun blazing into a situation. Like, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? And then they're like, well, because my grandpa died yesterday and I can't think straight. And you're like, yeah. oh, shoot. Okay. Wow. And I think that that's like just such a big, it's so, it's so much easier to see those things in person. Cause if I'm on like a quick Slack or even a quick zoom, I might not see that. But if I saw you all day, I would sense that there was something wrong and I could be like, Hey man, what's going on? Are you okay? But, but if I don't see that and I just assume that you're just knocking out tasks, then, then there's so much risk there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a great observation there, Jay, is, um, you know, again, like being distributed and remote, like means you don't have that full visual on someone's day, right? So you only see little bits thereof. Um, and I think the other thing that people should remember is like the notion of kind of your know, trolls. It is an internet thing, right? Like people sitting behind a keyboard are always going to be more kind of more critical, more negative, like, like more rude compared to in person. Like, like even on a Zoom, like a Zoom call um, is much better. Like if you're going to 
if you need to confront someone about someone about something um, in a remote team, rather do it on Zoom, right? Because like that will just tone things down by X percentage just due to the medium, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't change any of the content or the feeling. Just it's much harder being a dick to someone in, like face to face, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's good advice. I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you got something to deal with, it's a problem. You need to pick up the phone. But ideally, like now, get on a Zoom call. Um, in person is better, but we a lot of times can't do that. Zoom calls a little bit worse than that. Phone calls a little bit worse than that. Slack's a little bit worse than that. And email's worse than that. A text message is probably the worst of all. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly right, and and I think the one thing I I will add here, right, um, Jay, is like firstly from like I worked with my kind of previous team. I I left the kind of acquiring company, um, you know, last year, but through the bulk of you know twenty twenty with the pandemic, we were established team. Um, many of those team members had been like together for five odd years, mm. and would always work remotely. And then e- the last year was even tough on us, right? And I think for anyone out there that got plummeted into this, you know, having to work from home and having never done that, I want to tell those people as well that that is not the average work from home experience. Like it's a very intensified, very inefficient um, and an unnatural kind of remote work experience. Like when remote work is done well, um, it it has many, many benefits to both the team, the company, um, and the, the the individual. So I just want to acknowledge that part. Like it was, it was hard for me as well. Like suddenly not having, you know, simple thing, not having the kids go to school. Yeah. And at least you know, knowing that for four or five, you know, six hours a day, like I'm going to have space to do my most important work. That's a you know, different curveball that I had to kind of you know, manage in the last year that I didn't have to manage in the past. So um, I said like, you're this from someone seasoned with remote work. The last year has been tough. Um, yeah. That's not the way it should be. That, that's that's good counsel, and it's good for people to know like the reality of it all. That it, it's been hard for everybody, even people who are good at remote work. Uh, well, let's land the plane a little bit on the interview. I've just had a great time talking, and I think you have a lot of insights. I'm excited for people to go read your book. Um, two last things I'd like to ask. Number one, where's the best place for people to find you online or find out more about you? Um, and then the second is any parting advice you want to give people uh, to build a business that lasts? Yeah, Um so the uh, first one is, is probably easier. Um, so the best place to, to find me is um, I'm ad.me. Um, that's my personal blog. So ad.me, my personal blog. Um, I'm also at ad on Twitter, um, where I'm pretty active. Um, and there you can find links to to the book as well. The book is on Amazon and most other major retailers, both in paperback and, and digital format. Um, the second part of the question, um, I love this you know what, Jay? I love this idea of um, seeing business as a bit of a game. And um, this notion of when you play a board game and you finish a round, then you just reset the board and you play again. And doing that, like, you, yeah, I, as a kid, I could play Monopoly over and over and over again, right? And I never kind of, I, I never burnt out. I never got tired. I just kept playing. And Building a business that lasts means that you need to take care of yourself. You need to be able to say like, through this failure, whether it's a complete failure of this business and you have to spin up a new business or you have to make you know, deep cuts and pivot, et cetera. The key thing again is, can you actually get up and play another round? And I think to do that, like you have to do those other things, which is 
do things that serve your highest values. Do things that build that like full life portfolio and make sure make sure that you're going to be there for that next round. Like if that has to be played, um, that's probably the the way I would think about building a business that, that that lasts for the long term. That's really good counsel. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs um, put themselves in places where they're in sometimes harms harm of themselves. Um, and I think that that's probably not a story that's being told enough in some areas. There's a lot of glitz and glamour, but not the reality of the depression that happens behind the scenes, I think, in our communities. And it's important to hear that, like, you you have the right, you have the permission to take care of yourselves. You don't, you, But you don't need that from Aideen, you don't need it from me. Like, you, you, need it, you need that from yourself and for yourself, and that's a really great place to end. Aideen, thank you so much for your insight and wisdom and knowledge. Um, I'm a big fan of your work and the companies that you have built over time and wish you nothing but success with the future, the new book, and everything else you've got going on. Uh, take care of your wife and those little boys. Uh, they will build a b- bigger legacy than any business ever will. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks so much for a really kind of thoughtful and meaningful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and thanks for the kind words. Um, definitely wish you and the family, your much bigger family, um, kind of your similar, um, you know, kind of rewards for the future. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope this video has helped you with some tips and ideas to build a business that lasts. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss out on the next videos that we roll out. And more importantly, for some awesome free resources, head over to our website at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com. You can get a free copy of my book there where I tell you how I have built an agency that's grown year over year for the last 20 years in a row. So go grab that, buildingabusinessthatlasts.com, and make sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks. We'll see you soon.